Hello and welcome to Belonging Before Believing, where we have the cure for what ails you. I'm Brian Gumpy, Elder, Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship. I'm Patrick Mathers, the pastor of Sovereign Joy Christian Fellowship. Don't call to come back. We've been here for years. Yeah. We haven't been recording for months, <laughs> but we've been here for years. It's been one month. I know. It feels like a lot longer. It feels like a lot longer. Lots happened. For us, I imagine there's going to be a whole several bunch of people who listen to this who they're just, it's just going to roll right through, you know, because they listen to them later. Like, yeah. There's a lot of people I know have just had no idea that we haven't <laughs> put one out in a month. <laughs> oh, right. No, I've had people hit me up. Yeah. Yeah, like had a couple. Jason's Jason's gif on Twitter that was pretty funny. What what did he tell us? He's like said that we're Sinead. Like when you're Sinead like Connor. it's been fifteen <laughs> hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we have the cure for what ails you. Oh, dude, is this this the elixir that no, we're drinking? Right that's now? good stuff though, right? Oh, dude, this is so good. What is this? Carl Strauss peanut butter cup mm-hmm. porter, aptly named. That's the elixir of life. Yeah. Okay, what? The cure for what ails you. Okay, so ha, ha, ha. We Clinton all- Dix. What? Ha, ha, Clinton Dix. He was the safety oh. for the Packers. He just got traded. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a goofy name. I know. It was a great name. That's why I remembered it when you told me ha, ha. So ha, ha. Clinton Dix. We all like to make fun of me for doing CrossFit and being healthy and all this other nonsense, right? But... Uh, yes. Yes. So... I I have a beer most Mondays. I eat I love ice cream and treats of various kinds, but like 80% of the time, I yes, I have Why a pre- Mondays. That's a weird day to drink. Cuz Secret Trail. I know. I want Secret Trail to study on Mondays. <laughs> anyway, so I I eat pretty healthy about 80% of the time. So this week, ever since like Thursday, obviously Thanksgiving, has not been the case. Oh, it, that was this week. That was this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know when you just like sugar crash and carbohydrate crash? No. And <laughs> and and crash cuz you haven't had a day off work since November 3rd? No. And everything else. Anyway, it all just caught up with me and I'm getting ready to go to church. And like, I just feel like all I've had to eat is candy for <laughs> a month. And I'm just like, I'm crashing hard. <laughs> but then I thought about it as I'm pulling up to church and feeling all tired that, dude, I have not been, I haven't heard you preach in three weeks before yeah. tonight. Okay. And I preached one of those weeks, but it was a weird, different kind of service. Right. We'll get to why you had to preach. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. But, uh, no, and it was like the same type of thing where I just really, really needed some meat and veggies spiritually. I'm, oh, the I'm, sermon was the elixir. Yeah, I really, oh, I really oh. miss. Dude, I was church, not tracking dude. with you until right that moment. I've got more. <laughs> Don't worry, there's another level. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. So yeah, the elixir so of life. so I'm so I'm thinking about like physically how I'm just like needing some sustenance. And then I think about it when I'm getting to church about how much I missed being at sovereign joy two out of the last three weeks. It's, it's normally like two weeks a year that I'm not there. And so two out of three weeks, that was, that was rough. Dude, it was rough for me too. I was gone for two weeks in a row. Yeah. 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 And so, and then, 
after church, we're heading here and we haven't recorded in a month. Yeah. And so I'm getting my, my, my social, my podcastial meat and veggies. So here we go. Yes. So we've got actual meat and veggies, Jesus as your meat and veggies. And then Pat and I, as you're having fun, meat and veggies. <laughs> yeah. We're going to tickle your funny bone. <laughs> Here's hoping. Because <laughs> we could all use it right now. Uh, well, I mean, so we live in Chico, which is a hop, skip, and a jump from paradise. And anybody who listens to this in the near future is going to know the name paradise or pleasure as as one person has called it. Google Trump and (laughs) pleasure. No, maybe don't Google. I was about to say it and then I stopped. (laughs) Yeah. Paradise pleasure. It should be safe after that. (laughs) I don't know. Paradise pleasure. No, it it might be, it might not, but uh, (laughs) well, he called our, the town pleasure. So, and it's paradise and that's where I worked. Um, and so while I was gone, I went to Southern California for a pastor's conference and then to visit my folks and then to visit my oldest daughter and my middle daughter down in San Diego. And while I was down there, the fire happened in Paradise, the car fire. And no, campfire. Campfire. Car was in Redding. Yeah. Um, and so I was gone when it all happened and I was you know, constantly on Facebook looking at updates and trying to discern what was going on. And it got a a tiny little bit scary for us because our side of town did have a um, voluntary evacuation. The only place I think that was mandatory was the country club right up in Domill and um, Cal Park. Well, not all of Cal Park, just the country club part, I think. No, because my friends, they live on Yosemite. Oh, and they did? And they were evacuated, oh, okay. yeah. Okay, so so yeah, I think those are the only two mandatory. Um, so my, we got all, my wife got all the pictures together and everything was ready to go, but didn't, didn't have to. It didn't, it didn't come down into Chico, but... Um, we had stuff packed in my truck. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was scary. It was super scary. And so we thought it would be good for us to kind of do a little telling of a couple of stories because we're right here. And, you know, people do listen to us in other parts of the world and in other parts of the country. And most of the time, honestly, our audience, we're intending to speak to Chico, but this time, yeah. I guess we're kind of going to speak to a broader audience. But, but you are here. Walk me through how it all went down that day for you, just a little bit, because we got some theological stuff to yeah, yeah, yeah. go over, too. Well, I woke up a lot earlier than usual that day. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my employees had asked me to come drop by his morning shift and work with him. So I was out of the house by like 6.30, 6.45, when normally I take Zoe to school, so I don't leave the house until like 8. Um, <clears throat> so I went over across town, north town, and uh, was working there for like an hour. And as I was leaving, was the first that you could start to see the smoke. And when you realize it wasn't just a cool sunrise, like, oh, there's like something going on over there. Those yeah. aren't clouds. And, um, you know, by 10 a.m., when I went to the south side of town in one of our shops, it was half the sky with smoke. That was the trippy part was looking at the weather and it's saying that it was completely clear skies and you look up and you can't see the sky. 
And uh, and it was like a crazy dark. It was like midnight. All no, the pictures I saw were like apocalyptic. And no pictures do it justice. Your yeah. phone camera adds brightness so that it takes good pictures. Mm-hmm. And so you could not just capture how dark everything was. But uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> I do this volunteer thing for an hour every Thursday where I have some second graders, two of them, a half an hour each. They read to me. They're below their reading level. And so I, we, it's called Reading Pals. They get their practice reading. So from 12.15 to 1.15, I'm volunteering. And I'm watching the sky continue to just grow more and more ominous. And I try really hard not to be on my phone and not look at any alerts or anything when I'm in the room with those kids. And it was really, really hard not to look yeah, that day. And as I get out, I'm getting texts from my employees, like my shift leads are saying, okay, everybody's kind of freaking out a little bit. So I'm just going from shop to shop, making sure that everybody's doing okay and they're calm. I got one girl, her boyfriend was staying with her brother up in paradise and isn't answering his phone. And, you know, these kids, they're they're making coffee and in a long line that just kind of never ends. And so they don't have a chance to really check the news or look at their phones or anything like that. So being able to see the sky change like that, they were getting freaked out just not knowing what was going on. And when I went to the south side of town... That's where I live. That's closest to paradise. Right, right, right. Uh, It was crazy over there. People were running amok. You could feel it in the air that people were acting really rash. Everyone was frantic, which is why we ended up closing our shop on that side of town. It wasn't because of any imminent threat of fire. It was, it just doesn't feel safe for our employees to be serving these like wild and crazy people right now because everybody, when you leave paradise, it gets, you get dumped out right next to this shop. So I'm telling them to shut down the shop and there's this couple, I'm watching them walk over this freeway overpass. They're about 70 and it's bizarre to see so many people on foot walking over this overpass and They're walking with this canvas bag in their hand and it's got maybe three inches of stuff in the bottom of it. And as they're walking by my shop, I put my arm around them. These complete strangers, I just walk up to them, put my arm around them because I know they're about to go sit in a shelter for who knows how long. And I ask them, I say, hey, we're shutting the shop down, but you guys want anything to drink? Like, can can we get anything for you? And the look they gave me, it was like the last thing on their mind, but they're just, sure. And so as I walk them over, they're telling me about how they were driving down and then they had to leave their car because the fire was moving faster than the traffic could get out of town. And uh, they ended up catching a ride with the hospital transport, like a hospital bus. Wow. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah. Like as he's starting to calm down and, and think more clearly, he says, yeah, I had to leave my coffee thermos in my car. So I grab a couple of our thermoses and I just throw them in there and it's like, like here, it's the least I can do. And each of these people, normally it's like a little side hug or, you know, something like that when it's somebody I don't know because <laughs> that happens, but they each just squeezed me and thanked me and started walking away. And like, as that's happening, I look over at the stoplight in front of our shop, this truck catches on fire. Just right, at the stoplight. Right, just at the stoplight. Like, as I'm hugging these people, I see this happen. And so I start running towards this truck that's on fire. And I'm like, halfway there, I'm like, 
what are you doing? Like you're running towards a burning vehicle right now. Anyway, so as I is there get, anybody in it? That's that's, that's why I'm running for that's right? why I'm yeah. running because I watched it catch on fire and I didn't watch anybody get out. So cars are I've never seen cars move so fast in reverse as all of like because he was in the middle of traffic. Yeah. And at a stoplight, and everybody just peels out in reverse to get away from this truck. As, as I'm trying to get close to see if this guy's stuck in there, if I can get him out or whatever, someone sticks a hand in my face in the middle of the street. He's like, you don't know how much fuel is in there. <laughs> and so I just yell back, did they get out of the truck? <laughs> you should have said, you're right. <laughs> and he said, you don't know how much fuel's in there. <laughs> and so like while we're arguing back and forth, I see somebody kind of scramble out. Dude, the truck was like fully on fire. Front to back on fire. When wow. this dude finally gets out, I was talking to somebody who was watching later. Like, yeah, he just sat in there. What was that guy doing? So I'm the one who makes the 911 call. They had no idea. And I, every fire truck in the county is up in paradise uh, at this yeah, point. Yeah. But the fire truck got there in like 45 seconds. It was wow. so crazy. Wow. Whenever one of my shops gets robbed, <laughs> it takes 20 minutes to get anybody there. But when every fire truck is in paradise, it still takes 45 seconds. I'm going to start saying that the stand's, the stands on, fire on fire instead. Anyway... <laughs> And so uh, it was kind of funny. My boss, he shoots me a text and it's a picture of his TV and it's this truck that's on fire. And he's like, oh, look at that. It's in front of our shop. And I text him back. I was like, yeah, I know. I'm the one who made the 911 call and text him the video. And he's just like, why are you always trying to one up me, man? <laughs> but then last thing I'll say, I get back to uh, the patio because there's so many displaced people who are just showing up on the pet because they got nowhere else, right, to, nowhere go. else to go. They're grabbing yeah. a coffee before yeah. they just go sit somewhere. And this lady... She puts her head on my shoulder and she goes, oh, I feel like I'm in a Will Smith movie. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. And for the first time all day, I was like, that's what this feels like. It feels like we're in Independence Day. So crazy. Or I, um, I am legend. I am legend. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It was, it was like, it was the most bizarre day of my life yeah. without question. So I was down in Southern California and like I said, just checking Facebook and texting with Andy and going back and forth. And so I ended up choosing to stay down there, um, mainly because the air quality was so poor up here. And I was supposed to come back um, that Saturday, but I ended up staying, coming back Monday. And so that's why you had to preach for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and to put things in perspective for people who weren't here, the air quality, anything above 150 is considered unhealthy. It's a, the AQI, air quality index number. And that Friday, the day after the fire started, Chico was 995. They that's say, pegged, right? They that's say like it the, could have been worse, but that's as high as, as the scale goes. goes. Yeah. 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 So, yes, we urged you to stay. Yeah. Yeah. So I stayed. Um, you know, I, we, we, I, I work for a place, a funeral home, and we do, we have a place up in Paradise, and that's where I was working. And so um, lots of damage to um, our warehouse up there. But then, you know, the whole city's like that is there's pockets of, you know, our, our office is still standing. And that's kind of like, the, it's odd that that's kind of how the town of Paradise is, is most of it's destroyed. And then you'll have one house here that's just no rhyme or reason to it. And then another house over here and then eight of their neighbors are gone. And then here's a shop that's standing. And, but all in all, it's like, I think I read something today that said there was almost 18,000 structures that were destroyed. Mm -hmm. And that if you take the top 10 
wild, most destructive wildfires in recorded history that we have, that that's the only thing that gets close to it. The next top 10 below this combined. Yeah. It was like 20,000 if you take the, the next top 10. So this fire is really destructive. Lots of people um, didn't make it out. There's lots of missing people. And unfortunately, I don't know, some, some people probably won't get found. Um, It's, it's really bad. It really is. So we here in Chico, um, there's evacuees everywhere. There's everybody has a story, and everybody. everybody's tr- doing the best they can to help everybody else out. It's it's really uh, I, I'm not I'm surprised not surprised because Chico's a pretty welcoming town. Paradise is a tight community that is still very open arms to people, and so the two communities together. I'm not surprised everybody's helping everybody else out. But at the same time, I'm surprised by how much love and um, outpouring of charity that there is, and it's good. It's like this is this is what this is what people should be like more often. It's unfortunate that a tragedy of this magnitude forces you know people to adopt a Christian worldview. <laughs> so, so I thought that it was a bad you know wildfire, a bad you know, incident, a bad tragedy, whatever. But that it just seemed so bad and such a big deal because it was 10 minutes away. Right. But then when you see this kind of stuff that like Sierra Nevada is doing and State Farm and like all of these things that on a national scale, people are doing all of these charities for... That one random guy in San Diego just donates a million bucks. You know, it's just things like that. Yeah. yeah. To where that didn't happen for the car fire. Right. Or, you know, the tubs or. Yeah. Like, well, this is over 30,000 people displaced. Right. You know, it's yeah. like that's that's an unreal number. It's, well, it's hard to wrap your head 52,000 displaced, like evacuated. Right. But like 30,000 that like uh, they're ho- permanently. They're permanently gone. Yeah. Their houses are gone. They're, st- you know, wherever they were is completely gone. They're going to either have to wait for who knows how long to rebuild or, you know, they're going to end up moving somewhere else, which honestly I've heard a lot of is people going, you know, saying, yeah, we're just going to move on. I think a town of 30,000 is going to end up being like less than 10. Yeah. It'll for like decades. Yeah. But not in my lifetime, but someday it'll come back. It'll be. Oh, I think so. But I, yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be 30,000 for a long time. No. No, for yeah. sure not. So, Brian, we we <clears throat> we talk and we've done uh, episodes on the doctrine of evil before. Um, what what do what do we do uh, here? It's all of a sudden real. It's it's at home now. We've personally dealt with tragedy in our own lives, and now we are dealing with it on a big, massive scale. So, um, you know, theologically, I, I think we need to wrestle with well. What do we do with this? Um, there are some people who are going to be upset at God. How could God let this many people die? I've already heard that today. In fact, today I heard somebody say that. Um, and then lots of people are telling these miracle stories where out of nowhere a car showed up and picked them up and got them out. So, you know, and we, we have these kind of conflicting ideas of evil and good and whatnot. So... This is just something that uh, 
Gus and I were able to talk about before church started today. And I hadn't really thought of it in these terms until we were just standing there talking before service tonight. But we all know that our number is going to get called. We all know that our time here on earth is limited. And those of us who are trusting in a sovereign God know that our days are numbered. And so what I was thinking about and what we were talking about is we trust a sovereign God to take us at the proper time. Um, you know, when so many people who aren't uh, born again Christians will tell you that everything happens for a reason. It's funny how, you know, when you don't get a job that you were really pulling for, they'll tell you that everything happens for a reason. You know, some guy cheated on you and you don't know what you're going to do next when the most comforting thing they can offer you is everything happens for a reason. But when 84 people die in a wildfire so far that we know of, yeah, then... way more, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. The, that's the stat that's we have the, right now. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Um, Then it's how could God let this happen? And what struck me is that we know, and again, I'm talking about us who, who, who trust in a sovereign God. We know that our days are numbered and we just kind of, it, it's interesting to me how often we assume that our days are going to get us into our seventies and eighties and that that is what God means to happen. Mm-hmm. And anything short of that is a tragedy. Anything short of that is what some would say God didn't mean for this to happen. How could God let this happen on and on and on? When if the God that we serve is truly sovereign and his way is higher than our ways, if he truly does uh, work all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, then the most loving thing that he can do is do what he knows is right which is the hardest pill to swallow at a time like this. But if we trust in almighty God and we know that our days are numbered, I, I, I might not live to 80. I might make it to 36 and not knowing what's on the other side. We'll never know what's on the other side. We have to trust sovereign God on good days and bad days that he really does work all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Hey, I made it to 36. Good job. Yeah, that was that was predestined. You're knocking on forty six. Shut up! I didn't mean that in a good way. <laughs> you made it. So last week I preached um, an impromptu sermon. I don't like to do. I don't do it very often, but um, I thought it was appropriate. And so I, I'm gonna. Is that is this cool? I just want to go through my four points. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't there, so that, I'd love to. Well, I'm not going to pre- re-preach it. I think we don't have time for a whole sermon. But you can go, if you want to, if you do want to hear this whole sermon, um, it is up on our website, our SovereignJoyCF.org website, if you want to go listen to, to this sermon there. But my first point is which you exactly what you just said. Nice. That we're to acknowledge God's sovereignty. And I, I didn't use Romans 8.28, but I went to Job, and he... He ha- I mean, part of what happened to him was natural disaster. Is, mm-hmm. You know, these winds came along and knocked down the, the house that his whole family was in and killed them all. 
Um, but also some other, you know, bad things happened and he ended up getting these, these, uh, boils and, or cancer or whatever it was. Um, and his wife told him to curse God and die. And his answer was the Lord gives and the Lord takes away a blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's the right answer. That's acknowledging God's sovereignty in all things. It, It is all his God created everything. Everything is his by virtue of that. And he has the right to give and he has the right to take away what is his. The second point is that we should consider our own depravity. And, and first thing is about that is that, you know, God, God doesn't owe us anything. There's a sense where we feel like we're owed, just like what you were saying about the 80, 90 years um, kind of thing. But he, he doesn't owe us anything. That um, Jesus in, in Luke chapter 13 um, is confronted by some people Herod, who is the king there at the time, had had some people, pardon me, Pilate had some people killed. And these people were offering their sacrifices at the altar and their blood was mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. And so the the questioners to Jesus were like, this is really bad, huh? As if there were sinners. And Jesus responds by saying, do you think you're better than they are? No, I'll tell you what, unless you repent, you're going to likewise perish. And then he said he brings up a natural disaster. He said, "What about those eighteen people who the tower fell on in Siloam, which is a part of Jerusalem? Um, do you think you're better than they were? No, you're not. In fact, if you don't repent, then you'll likewise perish." And the the second thing is that we need to consider our own depravity. Look, this isn't the way things are supposed to be. The reason why things are the way they are is because of sin, and when Adam sinned. He did not just bring himself down. He was not autonomous. He was the representative not only for all people, but in a sense, creation as well. And so creation has fallen along with mankind. Now, mankind are the only ones who have the ability to repent. And so what natural disasters should in part do is cause us to wrestle with our own mortality and our own sin. So first, we look at God as sovereign. Second of all, we realize, oh, I'm, I'm mortal. I need to make things right with the Lord. I need to give an account for my own sin. And thirdly, we need to have compassion on others, which is what we're seeing as an outpouring of people doing. Um, that There's not really a foundation apart from a biblical worldview, honestly, to do that. But we do have one in 2 Corinthians 1 where it says that God comforts people and then we are supposed to comfort other people with the comfort we've received from the Lord and in that he is the God of all comfort. And so um, one of the things that we do as Christians is we take care of our own in the church and then also we take care of other people um, when they're in need and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice So what we do in doing that is we want to share Christ. We want to share good things with others. We want to be compassionate and treat people the way we would want to be treated in that situation. And then the last point that I preached on was that what this should cause us to do is it should cause us to long for heaven. It should really cause us to look heavenward and realize this, like I said, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Um, things are not supposed to catch fire and burn, you know, 17,000, 18,000 structures. Things, people are not supposed to um, 
be killed and have their blood mingled with their sacrificed people. Or This is not the way things, this is the result of sin. It makes me want to be in heaven where everything's going to be right and perfect and there's no more tears, no more sorrow, um, I lo- where creation is perfectly restored to the way it was originally intended and that there will be re- rejoicing and peace and restoration with the Lord forever. Yeah. I mean, that last point right there about longing for heaven, that was what I was struck with. I didn't have, I mean, work has just been absolutely bonkers ever since the fire started. And uh, so I didn't have any time to study for when I taught. And as I'm praying through it, what kept coming to mind was Psalm 73. And I know like Asaph's context was a lot different than what we're talking about right now. But what struck me is when you get down, he, I mean, he's talking about why the wicked prosper and why he has it so bad and all these evil people have it so much better than him. But as he gets to verse 23, it says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And as I'm looking at these people who lost everything, who don't have a, an earthly possession other than the shirts on their back and maybe the cars that they escaped with. And I think if that were me, would I be able to say, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And to me, it was just this gut check that if I were a person who lost everything in a fire, is this where my mind and my heart would be? And it was really humbling knowing that a lot of the time that's not the case. And so to not waste a tragedy like this as an opportunity to become spiritually, theologically prepared for when something, some kind of tragedy might strike in our town or in our own lives or things like that. Um, I would hate to waste, like I said, an opportunity to be spiritually prepared for it. You know, um, we do the best we can, but we can never be, I think, ultimately prepared for these kind of things. I think the Lord uses these to really shake us up. Um, But the reading, praying, this is one of the reasons why we want, you know, it's like working out. You, 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 you know, you work out a lot. And so I think that if it had come down to it, that you really needed to wrestle that guy out of that burning truck, you'd probably be in a better situation than I would to do it. Although adrenaline kicks in and I don't know, but uh, my point is, is that, you know, you, you, you work out and it's not just an end in and of itself. There's going to be times where it's going to benefit you and you're going to be able to do things that other people can't. Uh, spiritually speaking, we, we want to, you know, have our hearts prepared. It's one of the reasons why robust theology, why we don't shy away from hard things, hard doctrine, why we're willing to preach through books at a time where some people think it's just boring because this is the fuel of faith. You know, this is what feeds our soul. This is what prepares us for things when life really happens, when we are shaken up in our sanitized little bubble of uh, existence and brought back to the reality that, you know, you're mortal, that 
this life is short and you're going to have to give an account one day before God. And um, so we, we keep coming back to these truths and we will keep coming back to them for the rest of our lives because it's really what um, brings about maturity and growth and health. And it's why we want uh, you know people who, who listen to us to you know, ask us these hard questions and we want to give you the good, solid biblical answers because we want you to see that, you know, there, there is a, a faith to believe and um, strength to be gained spiritually through the word of God. Yeah. And if your world gets turned upside down, um, what is your life built on? What kind of foundation do you have for any kind of, of peace to make any kind of sense out of what's going on around yeah. you? Or if something, some kind of upheaval of your life happens, is that just the end in your mind? Which yeah. is a really sad place to be. Yeah, it really is. That's, I mean, I, I, we could go on and on and on. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that we will keep coming back to stories from this fire. Um, because, I mean, there's so Forever. many things we've learned and have been, you know, moved by that, yeah, for the rest of our lives... But, um, yeah, do you want a question for the day? Yeah. <laughs> Let me pick one out here. I don't, I don't have one handy. Um, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is a good one. It doesn't apply to you, really, because okay. this is you always. Oh, great. I'm being a little snarky, but sure. it is you. What and when was the last time that you worked incredibly hard? Oh, gosh. That's Brian. That's all he does is work incredibly hard. Whatever. I think one day somebody said to somebody else, like, you know, that Brian was in the room and somebody said, oh, to somebody else, not to Brian, you're the hardest working person ever. And Brian was like, screw that jazz. I'm never going to hear that again unless they're talking to me. <laughs> and you started working real hard and that's all you've done ever since. <laughs> That happened? No, I don't know. Oh. I'm saying I'm oh, making <laughs> I'm making something up. I'm like Got I'm it. I'm imagining that's your motivation is just out of pure grit and fortitude that you're like I'm going to work hard in everything I do forever. I, that's what you do. I can't explain to you where it came from. I, I'll tell you this though. I know where it came from. I know that my dad didn't take a sick day for like eight years. I'm not that guy. I'm a wuss when Was I get sick. Was he actually sick? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he still went? Dude, one time, straight up, <laughs> my dad, it, it was uh, like a lot of ice, and he was walking out to his car. He slipped, and he had like a can, like a energy drink in his jacket pocket, and he fell on it and cracked his rib, right? Oh! Yeah. I broke two ribs. That kills. Yeah. Well, he was just kind of limping around with it for a couple days, and then this is what he told me. He told me this story later. He was like, yeah, so then Monday, it's still hurting. So I decide I'm going to take your mom to work. I'm going to work half a day, and then I'm going to go to the emergency room. Whoa. It's like, Dad, you already know you're going to the emergency room, but you're going to work half a day first? Why? 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 He listens to this show. Question of the day, Daniel Gumpy. Why did you work half a day before going to the emergency room? I want to hear other people. Why, when was the last time they worked incredibly hard and how was it? Yeah. I remember the hard, maybe, maybe the hardest job I ever had was when we lived in Wisconsin and I was helping some people build a log cabin, upright logs, not like laying down like Lincoln log style, upright. It was awful. But we had to pour the footings 
but the cement truck couldn't get back there because it was so far back and so muddy. So we had to lump five-gallon buckets full of cement, like 180 yards back, pour Uh. them in, and go back and get other buckets full. We did that for 12 hours. Uh. Yeah. I bet I lost like 98 pounds that day. Uh. Oh, my gosh. It was so bad. It was my my hands were like clinched up like I couldn't open them up for like a day after that. It was awful. Oh. But I was in my twenties. I was in my prime. Oh, you weren't in your prime after that. That was it. That, that killed, was that killed your prime. The, the day before was my prime. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So when was the last time you worked like really hard? When I was twenty-four. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we love to hear your stories. We are so glad to be back. And we mean it this time. We're actually back where Patrick and I, we believe that you belong. Mm -hmm.